no annoying bell this time. It is the season finale of Right in the Schoolies, and I just wanted to give a quick end-of-term announcement, or two. First of all, as you might be able to hear in the background, summer is here. The birds are singing, the evenings are finally warm enough to sit around outside, and, obviously, we are winding down towards the summer holidays. This has been an absolutely amazing experience, putting a podcast out into the world, and I'd just like to thank a few people for helping to make it possible. These people include, but are not limited to, the brilliant Sasha Huff, without whose wonderful podcast bootcamp this pod would not exist. And of course, it would be remiss of me not to thank Steve Hurst and Jacob Sweatsack. That's not actually his name, but Jacob Vull, sorry, my Canadian and Floridian friend, respectively. I miss you both very much, guys, and thank you very much for making me put my money, or rather your money, where my mouth was, and pay for me to do that boot camp. Thank you very much, chaps. I would also like to thank people who have taken the time out to download, share, retweet, whatever it is, this podcast, so that it grows and hopefully gains a wider listenership. I'd also like to thank all of my guests, every single one of them, from people that I'd spoken to before and had a previous relationship with of some sort and therefore had a a nice rapport with to people who I'd never spoken to before and have never actually met in real life. It was an absolute honour being able to meet people like Stephen Volk, who I've looked up to since I was quite a young man as a writer. It was also very wonderful to meet people like Patricia Volk, his wife, who I won't lie, I would not have had that conversation if he'd hadn't facilitated it, and it was a a great interview and a a great episode. I'd also just like to say a massive thanks to everybody that has got in touch with me to say that they liked the pod, and of course I'd like to say thank you to people who've signed up on Patreon, including and I'm going to mention her especially on this pod, to Catherine Cavanna for actually putting me in touch with my next guest. Who is my next guest? Well, it would be about time for me to introduce the man. My next guest is a man who has done many, many things with his life, all of them in some way associated with rugby. Born and raised in Tullow, County Carlo, and raised on his parents' farm, he attended Newbridge College in Kildare before going on to study business and Japanese at University College, Dublin. He played rugby in school and was persuaded by none other than Warren Gatlin to turn professional. He went on to play for Connacht, Sail Sharks, and Leinster, and of course internationally for Ireland, before retiring in 2010 due to a concussion injury. Today he remains an ambassador for Acquired Brain Injury Ireland, whose Mind Your Head campaign he strongly supports. He has since gone into coaching, and was appointed head coach at Grenoble in June 2016, moved to the Welsh team, the Dragons, for 18 months, and is now head coach for Leinster Division 1 team, Bechtiv FC, He's also been working as a rugby pundit and a columnist while rapidly building his profile as a motivational speaker and a high-performance consultant. Yes, my guest today is the inimitable Bernard Birch Jackman. (coughs) Okay, well, good morning, Birch. It's nice to actually get a chance to talk to you, and um, we're here to talk about your school days. So please tell us everything about your main school. Yeah, my main school is uh, Dominican College at Newbridge Newbridge, uh, County Kildare, so it was um, a boarding school, um, but has transitioned quite a bit. Um, so when I got there, 
it was no longer single sex. So um, traditionally, it was an all boys boarding school. But as numbers started to decrease, um, and also priests started to be less less numerous, they had to start to wind down the the boarding side of it and became a the mixture between boarders, day boarders, and uh, day pupils, and then I joined in I think in eighty six or no eighty eight probably I think in eighty sorry yeah in eighty six they start they took in girls um, day pupils for the first time. So when I joined, if there was hundred kids in my in first year, there was probably uh, eighty boys and twenty girls, and of those hundred kids, there was twenty of us who were boarders. Um, so that was that was the kind of mix. So yeah, it's a it was a good experience, and we it was we got home one weekend uh, a month, so we got off on a Friday at lunchtime, and came back on, on a Sunday night. So, uh, but we were allowed out for visits on a Sunday. So, yeah, it was full boarding. Allowed out for visits. It sounds almost prison like, doesn't it? When you when you yeah. look back on it, but it's funny because um, I've had people talk about being boarders, half boarders, day boarders. What you know, it, there's there's I think a real I, I just it it filled me with dread the idea of ever having to go to school. And stay overnight you know even now even now I'm a teacher and, and I, I think about mm. that and it must be quite and it must be quite baptism of fire you must have to make friends pretty fast yeah yeah I think um, first years go back uh, a couple of days before the rest of the school so mm. um, you kind of have the run of the place and it's probably less daunting because there's less numbers and you know it was, certainly was scary I mean um, like my my own son now is is, is going into the same year next year so he's 12 uh, he's going to senior school like I don't know how I'd feel about dropping him off uh, um, but I do know how I'd feel I'd be uh, it'd be pretty tough to drop him off and, and leave him there for for a month at a time but in fairness to, just to give you a bit of background I mean so my family are, are, are farmers and, and, and cattle dealers and uh, I'm the eldest boy and, and as a kid I was I was very interested in in that business and you know, if, if a lorry came into the yard with cattle, I'd invariably drop my books and, and go out and, and see what was going on and get involved in that. And uh, Or I'd go to a mart and, and, you know, be home very late and be hard to maybe go to school the next day or concentrate. So from my family's point of view, they didn't, uh, it wasn't a punishment or anything like that. It was, it was a case to give me a chance to, to get a good education because they could see that I was going to get distracted if I, if I stayed at home. And, um, you know, no one in my family, uh, in my dad's family had ever completed secondary school or anything like that so it was just a case of giving me a chance to to go there so and I really appreciate it. it's opened up a whole new world for me um both in terms of my French friends but also obviously giving me access to rugby and an education that's um stood to me so I'm, I'm very fortunate to have got that chance mm. and the idea of being able to go somewhere like you say where the, there was a concentration of of education and time as well being spent you know that that is probably one of the reasons you mentioned rugby even over here we all know about you know there, there are big big focuses um and have been for quite a, a long time now with you know Irish rugby being very predominantly dependent on the school system working properly and it's one of the things i find fascinating would you would you i'm going to go off script here would you tell us a bit about how is it that Irish rugby is so strong with the school system? And I, in my opinion, it doesn't work quite so well over here because we've got such a such a sort of massive gap between state and private funded ones. I think um, the well, for me, what what often drives performance um, is is the history uh, of the competition and and the rivalry and how how it's seen within that area, that space to the pride you get from representing your 
your your your club or your school. So in, in schools rugby in Ireland, particularly Leinster schools, the schools competition is um there's a huge history behind it. And it's it's amazing. It's a little bit like the alumni in, in American sports where um you know 20 years later if people will still follow their college, their college sport. And um so for example, we I would know people who might not go to a rugby match from one year to the next but they will go to the Leinster schools game of their old school and they'll follow that. And they'll, they'll then follow those kids that they, that they, they're impressed by on their journey. And they, and they take pride in the fact of being able to say, Oh, I remember X, Y, or Z playing a schools match against Clongos, you know, and they did this and, and they're talking about them after an Ireland game, you know, and that's uh, also it's televised. Played in Donnybrook, which is Leinster's old stadium. The, the Irish Times and the Irish Independent will do a match report on a schools game. So, like if you can imagine, so, so I'll give you my background. So I I played Gaelic football from a very small village. Like uh, there used to be a post office, a pub, and a shop. They've all closed. Um, you know, mm. there's nothing there anymore. Um, and suddenly then I go to to Newbridge College, and, and you know, there's a very intensive fixture list so like they basically keep the same fixtures every year so when you go into Newbridge College um, or any other school um, you kind of made aware quite quickly how significant it is to be playing against you know Press Cork or or St. Munchens or, or Black Rock etc and, and you play against those teams all the way through you know and usually on the mm-hmm. same dates um, each year so and, and games come thick and fast so you're, you're, you're getting into this rhythm of of playing for your school, winning or losing, trying to get better, training, playing, etc. And then, and then, well, for me, I remember being brought to it. So basically, as well, apart from just TV or or, or media, the whole school goes to the cup games. Okay, so I was a first year on a bus to Donnybrook with all my class, and you know, you're you're taught the songs to sing. Yeah, you know, there's a really good atmosphere, and you're watching guys. In third year, fifth year, or sorry, sixth year, so 15-year-olds and 18-year-olds, there's a junior cup and a senior cup, represent the school against somebody else. And there's a huge amount of excitement about that for what it was for me as a 13-year-old. And I, I straight away said, that's what I want to do. I want to play in third year and fifth year and, and represent my school. So I think that that helps a lot. And if you look at New Zealand schools, you know, some of the crowds that go to those games, they're all televised. Um, there's a lot of r- rivalry. So, And also, I mean, you can have... I mean, Black Rocker are famous for being a brilliant school and they've had huge success. But, you know, every every you know everyone has a, has a puncher's chance, you know, and if you just get a good generation, so if you can get a good year to come in in first year and you can coach them well, you know, theoretically by, by sixth year, they have a chance to win the cup, despite all the different resources that other schools have. And and I went back to my old school last year to help out Johnny Murphy, who played for Leicester and Munster, who's a past pupil as well. And uh, we had a lovely team um, and we got to the final to play Clongos. It was going to be the first all Kildare ever final on St. Patrick's Day. And then COVID um, oh, no. got it postponed. Uh, and then this year we had a very good team, but there was no cup played at all. So, yeah, so Newbridge hadn't won a cup actually since 1970. So it was 50 years to uh, it would have been 50 years to the day since we'd be we'd won it, and I've, uh, like a, I think we had a very good chance of winning it. Um, but my point is that you know even the smaller schools like Newbridge, they they have a, a shot. Whereas um, you know maybe in the in the schools in England, you know the schools with the smaller budgets or smaller numbers, maybe it's a little bit more difficult. Yeah, I mean I I I think that there's a such a massive 
like you say that that pride that people feel in their school in terms of school sports that's you know we i've spoken to a few american guests about sort of their high school football you know even if they're not involved in any way with the team even if they're not sporting everybody knows who yeah. the team is everybody knows who the starting quarterback is and there, there is that and they're ever being televised and yeah if you're if you're like me and you're you're a rugby nose, you you will search out who's playing in the Daily Mail Cup final um, at Twickenham. But quite often, you just look and you go every year. Oh, it's uh, Laws Wandsworth again. I would absolutely love to talk about rugby all afternoon, but I can't. <laughs> I have to okay. ask you some. I have to ask you some slightly more prosaic questions about um, some of your subjects. Now, one of the things that I like to ask about because I think it brings out a good bit of reflection is when you were first getting into looking at a timetable, especially, you know, as a, a senior school develops and you start specialising a bit more, um, what lessons did you really look forward to and which ones did you think, ah, oh, God, not that again? I like German, actually. I was down to the teacher. He was a, he was a priest, uh, Father McKenna. He was a tough man. But, yeah, he, had a, he was a very, very bright man, very engaging, um, and you could sense he had a real passion for the language, and I think that's... Mm that transferred over to me. So I didn't do French, unfortunately, obviously, because I lived in France for five years. So that German was no help to me there. But um, mm. when I was in school, I really looked forward to uh, German. Um, later on, uh, I, I liked business studies. I fancied myself as being a bit of an entrepreneur. Um, I ran the school tuck shop in fourth year and I was the financial controller. So um, I was trying to make sure that I uh, I knew how to, to, to run the accounts properly and, uh, and ledger things properly so that when I had to go uh, for my quarterly meeting with the bursar, our accounts were in order because historically the tuck shop, the tuck shop was always ran by the four years, but invariably it made a loss. And uh, myself and the, the MD, who's a good friend of mine, Paul Turley, uh, we were determined to be the first tuck shop to, to, to break even, even though it should have made a profit. But you can imagine it's quite hard to keep an, an eye on, um, on, on, on on sweets and, and money um, and a bunch of four-tiers run, run the school tuck shop. So, uh, yeah, I enjoyed, um, I enjoyed business studies uh, as well a lot. Within those subjects, you mentioned one of your teachers there. Were there any other teachers that you just thought, I'm not so sure about the subject, but I really like them, I really rate them, someone who was memorable, or conversely, someone who you went, oh, God, not this bugger again. Yeah, um, <laughs> no, look, I, I always had a good rapport with a teacher. We had very good teachers. There was one teacher, Spud Walsh, uh, who, who, was, <laughs> who was pretty uh, pretty dangerous if, if, if you got on the wrong side of him. Um, he, even though it was banned at the time, he still wasn't afraid of... of giving out the old physical punishment. He'd give you a rap. He'd massive hands. He'd give you a rap on the back of the, back of the head. Um, so he's probably a guy that I, I remember. Um, no, he never hit me, but maybe I didn't get caught. But uh, uh, certainly someone that you, you ended the class aware of the need to keep discipline. Following sort of hot on the heels of that, were there any times that you or, or others fell on the wrong side of the law with teachers or were you, were you too canny to be caught? So the the main messing was at night, to be honest. So um, I was about to say what this this I, I interviewed John Brake about his yeah. time at Millfield School, and he spent yeah. a lot of time out of out of his room, out of hours, uh, <laughs> dodging the bursts. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So um, so we had like obviously we had a first year, second year, third year uh, dorm in, in junior school. So our school was, was a quad, and it's split in two. So. Junior school was uh, junior house was basically for first, second, third years, and then senior house was fourth and fifth, fifth years. Now you might be in senior house to go to the tuck shop or to the theatre, but you you know in general you, you lived most of your life in in in, uh, in your in your respective house. Um, but yeah, first year obviously we were 
learning the ropes and we stayed in our in our dorm. Um, but yeah, there might be nights where, you know, lights out at, at half ten, but uh, at two o'clock, you know, you're you're in the, the toilets having having a chat or with a couple of years or whatever. And uh, but then yeah, the big fun is in probably in third year breaking down into the first year dorm and you know messing up beds and whatever else you get up to um late at night. I never really broke some of the guys broke out to go up to town, but um uh like it was it wouldn't be anything dangerous. We just go up to get chips or something like that. But um yeah it's a risky one because you know the, the chippers would close at half eleven and you know the the dorm uh the dorm supervisors very rarely were asleep at half eleven. So you know it was mainly around after twelve o'clock, one o'clock in the morning where you could get up and and um, you know, you, yeah, it's harmless stuff, but just just mess around a little bit. The best probably, the best fun was probably in the infirmary at exam time. So obviously, if uh, if you were in the infirmary, you can't do, you couldn't do your exams. So invariably, there was a, a flu pandemic or epidemic um, uh, or food poisoning um, around the time of exams, and you'd see the morning, the morning, two or two or three days before the exams. Because uh, we, we used to have to pass the infirmary to go to the canteen for breakfast. Mm. And, you know, for September, October, November, there might be one person there in the queue in the morning waiting to see the matron. And as you got closer to the exams, you'd see, um, you know, five, six, then the, day, the morning of the first exam, maybe 20, 20 boys queuing up to see the matron. And uh, the, the, the infirmary had 12 beds in it. But I remember at exam time, there used to be isolation wards, overflow wards. It was kind of, you know, it all came back to me when I saw how the government were trying to find extra beds for the um, for COVID nineteen. That, that was the, that was the case at exam time in, in Newbridge, basically, and lads would be trying to get in. And um, you know, the big thing was obviously to to know what symptoms to tell her, and um, and also a huge part of it was your temperature. So I remember, I remember guys. I don't know if you remember it. Well, we used to have these like. Um, school uniform trousers and I don't know what material they were but if you got the thermo- thermo- thermometer and rubbed it off really quickly um, it created a friction and your temperature would go up um, so that was one trick the boys would have so matron, the matron was an oldest lady lovely lady but she she might have five thermometers in, in five guys mouths at the same time and she'd turn her back and basically anyone who was pretending they were sick needed to find a way of getting that temperature up so um Obviously, rubbing it off your, your trousers was, was one option. I remember another guy held up to a light bulb. Uh, but probably the, the most concerning was one guy put it into the matron's cup of tea uh, for a second and, and took it back out, <laughs> put it back in his mouth. And then I remember matron, matron oblivious to drank drank the tea. So it wasn't very nice for her. Oh, God. Well, I, I was going to say, imagine she looks at it and then goes, right, we well, need to get this guy to a hospital right away. He's burning oh, up. she did. No, 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 no. There was, uh, yeah, obviously... Obviously, it was inexact science, and um, yeah. but she wasn't great. Her sight wasn't great, so um, sometimes she she'd be looking at us, you know, in shock about how this, how this patient's still alive, and she generally didn't think there was something wrong with the thermometer. Give it back to the to the student to, to go again. But yeah, look, it wasn't what all the guys wanted to do was get in, and then once you got in, then they just pretended they were unbelievably sick. So they'd be up messing. Um, they'd have someone keeping sketch, which is basically. Someone on a lookout. So you know, matron would go go away for for lunch or whatever, and uh, like it was like a, a party room in the infirmary. And I felt sorry for the guys who actually were sick. Yeah, I was gonna say, poor sods. Yeah, yeah, and actually, uh, there was some guys who went in perfectly healthy. 
caught something in there and ended up being in there for, for post for some of the exam. Uh, they went homesick then because invariably the exams were the last week. Um, they end up going homesick. Yeah, you have someone keeping sketch. So basically, they'd be a lookout for, for Matron coming back to the building or um, or team coming. And then, you know, if they saw somebody coming, they'd run in, call sketch. Everyone would jump into bed, pretend they were asleep. The matron would come in, guys would be groaning with pain and all the usual, you know, drama. Uh, it ends up looking like a field hospital in yeah, World War yeah, One yeah, or something. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's amazing no one died in there. There were yeah. so many sick people. Yeah. Roll, rolling around. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Yeah, no, I, I remember uh, certainly the school nurse at my school was particularly pitiless. You know, you, you, you went yeah. in there with anything other than being decapitated that was it you were going back to your lesson no problem and yeah no in fairness um matron she she was really she was very difficult to convince around exam times because she knew it was a stroke um it was was a horrible place to be if you were sick outside of that because being in there on your own all day you know there was no mobile phones there was no wi-fi there was no playstations you know she didn't even want you reading a book she was just like no you have to rest so um (laughs) She, she knew then when obviously she saw the queues outside that people were were taking the the piss and um yeah, it was hard to convince her for sure but look at um yeah lots of people it's hard for her as well to determine if you were genuinely you know sick or not ah that that's a that's a new one i've not heard of people faking it to get out of exams because i guess right now what with covid yeah. being a real thing you know we've just had a bunch of exams that aren't really exams certainly over here in england and um yeah yeah feel for the kids that weren't able to do them or have suffered with you know maybe not covid itself but like family members so yeah it's it, it's amazing how like you say people were pretending there was a an epidemic yeah the there was no was, real yeah. yeah things like there was no real continuous assessment no. there is now um you know and if you if you obviously you did homework into that but for for kids who maybe had to study that hard or mm. just no, yeah, didn't want a bad school report to ruin their summer. Um, the opportunity to to jump into an infirmary for four or five days and miss a few, get sympathy from your parents. Um, and that's something to sort of touch on here because I'm I'm sort of rereading the uh, how the Irish school system sort of works now and how it would have worked a little bit more back then. We're we're mainly talking here about the senior cycle going through to the leaving certificate. Yeah. Yes, and but the, th- yeah. the, the thing I'm really interested in because obviously I'm an English teacher. That's my that's my where my passion sort of lies. But I've always been really impressed by the fact that the English sort of literature coverage and Irish literature coverage is um, major emphasis on Irish poets. So Yeats, Clark, etc. Uh, do you remember doing any anything of that nature? Like, because if it's got quite a heavy emphasis, I'm always intrigued to know. Like, yeah. did you? St- I know you study Shakespeare as well. There's always a Shakespeare play too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and um, uh, I actually don't, to be honest. But no, uh, we, no worries. Sorry, yeah, there was a huge focus on it um, in English, particularly around the, the Irish um, literature greats, and and obviously for the exams then. So for a leaving cert, there was a lot of there was always rumours about this is going to come up, and mm. you know, uh, so then to be extra study on, on that area. But uh, look, I think the Irish education system is, is very very strong, um, mm. and uh, you know, and the quality of of the education, the uh, the quality of the teaching is. Is excellent across private and, pub- and public schools. So our mm. our public schools are not they're the state schools. Um, and uh, so when I went to university and and obviously uh, joined up with with guys from and girls from all different schools. I mean there was no 
there was no obvious difference um, in, in terms of what we'd been exposed to in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a private school. So I liked all subjects really. I like, I, I, I was, um, I like school and, and, and mm. uh, I like studying um, and I like sport, but uh, yeah, I can't remember what we, what we focused on. I wasn't in the drama side of it um, no. or the school player and that. I was more on the, the sports end of it, but um, I do I do seem to um, see as well here that Irish language study is 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 one of the yeah. one of the key components. Is that something? Given that you're a linguist, uh, at least you know I, I heard you studied Japanese at university as one of your, uh, yeah. one, of your one of your extras. Yeah. Not exactly an easy language to pick up. How did you find that doing Irish language studies at school? I, I hear it's demonically complex. <laughs> Yeah, it is very difficult, um, and uh, but you start off at, in, at four years of age, you know. So it's one of our oh, wow. courses. So our three core subjects are uh, Irish, English, um, and sorry, uh, Irish, English, and maths. Um, and you know, there's a lot of debate in Irish society about, you know, why do kids have to learn Irish? Because obviously, it's only a small proportion of the country who speak it naturally, but it's, it's a huge focus. So every Every government document has to be written in, in both English and Irish. Um, all the road signs um, uh, are, are are in both languages, etc. So it's a it's a huge focus, and I like, um, and obviously because it's a huge focus, and obviously because it's difficult. So if you don't have Irish, you need to have a letter of exemption, and that's based around having lived abroad, etc. So if you fail Irish, you can't go to some of the big universities. Okay, well, even if you're if you're a top student and everything else, so it's a really important one. So. We obviously do it every day and we do more hours in English, Irish and maths than we do in everything else. But um, a lot of us then go in the summer to what's called Gwaeltoc, which is basically parts of the country that Irish is spoken um, as a first language. And they run summer schools. So, And that's a huge, it's not just learning Irish, it's a huge part of the, mm. the growing up uh, stage in, in an Irish, in a typical Irish kid's life. And uh, so you're, you know, you do your, we get three months holidays and, um, in, in, uh, so we get June, July, and August off if you mm. go to school, um, and uh, invariably three of those weeks will be spent in the Gwale Talk, usually the west of Ireland, Donegal, um, little parts of, of Kerry, uh, one place in Waterford, and you'll go and you live with a family for for three weeks, and that family will be a a, a Gwale, there'll be Gwale Gore, so they'll speak Irish mm. uh, natively, and in the morning you'll have class, and in the afternoon you'll have sport. And at night you'll have Irish dancing and and uh, and Kayleys and different little things like that. So, but it's a great way of meeting. Uh, well, a lot of people meet girls or boys for the first time at that if they go to a, a single sex school. But it's a it's a great way of meeting other people. And basically, like Irish is compulsory. So if you're caught speaking English, uh, you're sent home. In most of them, there's some that are a little bit less strict. But um, it's so parents do that then to obviously give the kids the best possible chance of getting a good score in Irish um, yeah, at leaving cert. But so I, uh, and it's probably more about my memory and that, uh, than, than the way it's taught. But I know a lot of people who, who learned Irish all the way from four to 18 who don't speak anymore. And I don't speak anymore. Um, and my actual memory of it is, is quite poor. And I would have a very good level. I would have had a good level. Like uh, I would have got a B plus uh, in my final exam in higher level. So I would have a good level even just, just hasn't stayed with me. We don't get exposed to it enough. Ironically, we have an Irish uh, language channel um, in, in Irish TV, and they have rights for rugby. Um, so I do catch up a little bit of it watching some mm. rugby 
was uh, two hours. There was a film, I just looked it up, it was a Daniel O'Hara. Yeah. Yu Ming is Ein Dom, I believe it was called. It was uh, it's just this very short film, it's only about 15, yeah. 20 minutes long, but it features a Chinese man who just decides he wants to learn a language and travel to that country and he spins a globe and he finds Ireland and he spends months and months learning Irish and comes to Dublin and no one knows what he's saying <laughs> and he's wandering around he's temple running around Temple Bar trying to yeah. trying to ask people for directions he can obviously see the signs have got Irish yeah. on so we can follow where he's going and he sits he gets to this bar and he's and this these two barmen are sort of going sorry mate we don't understand you you know what is it you want you know and then and this old man at the bar played by Frank Kelly Father Jack just turns around and says to him in Irish come over here it's okay sit yeah. down he says no no one really speaks it don't worry I'll buy you a drink and the, the two barmen turn to each other and go did you know old Paddy could speak Chinese that's amazing <laughs> uh, yeah and that's a sad thing and like you know I, I wish so my kids now um my son this year, which is his last year of of primary school, his um his school were losing a lot of kids who went to this other school, a boarding school for sixth class, all true Irish down in the Quailtuck area, which basically set them up for senior school, mm. and losing a lot of kids to who were leaving for sixth class to go down there. So they set up a um, an all Irish class, and he's gone through that. So. Um, so effectively from nine o'clock in the morning till three o'clock, he speaks Irish in class and he's taught maths through Irish, he's taught geography through Irish, he's through Irish. So that'll give him a great, a great head start now for, for secondary mm-hmm. school. I just, I, I genuinely didn't know that it was so heavily weighted when it came to university entrance. Yeah. Um, if that ever were to change, would it, would it have, would people still put that same emphasis on it in education or, or would it, like you say, but no. And, that, and that's the fear, and that's there's a huge debate. Like I, I genuinely feel like, and it's it, unfortunately we're losing, we're losing the 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 popularity of the language. Like even people in the Gwale talk now, you know, even the kids who traditionally would have just been exposed to Irish through their parents and their uncles and aunts, like they're getting exposed to TikTok and mm. Twitter and Facebook and Snapchat and all that stuff. So it's it's something we have to be very careful of. That and if if we lose. The, the the character of education and exams and university entry, I mean, you know, within fifty years it could be pretty much gone. And, he, and, I, and I, it's, it's already at a stage where, as I said, you know, somebody coming from the west of Ireland to Dublin looking for directions would struggle to get help because mm. it's not spoken regularly. Enough. But I do think it's a big part of our of our history, and it, it's worth it's worth trying to save it. You know, I, yeah, I think as well, like we because we're we're a nation with huge history of emigration mm. um now a lot of the emigration was australia america or mm-hmm. england um but i think a lot of parents subconsciously you know put a lot of pressure on their kids take on french take on german take on spanish mm. uh, in school with just you know the idea that potentially we're going to need that if there's a an economic um a downturn or, or whatever and and it goes back to the famine days or whatever that needs mm. to leave um so I think definitely in Ireland languages are are embraced, and also I think if you if you have that second language as a kid, like apparently if you're good at Irish as a kid, German comes more naturally to mm. you. You know, so we okay, we're not bilingual, but we do have we like every kid has had English and Irish you know, like pushed through them uh, from first class, you know, from four or five years of age. So that definitely probably helps them pick up a second language. Yeah, well, exactly a third language, and then yeah. once you once you can master a couple of languages, yeah. what what's another few between friends? Sure, um, yeah. <laughs> although I must admit, I, I I did I so I 
um, I know obviously learning something like Japanese is fiendishly tough because of the different alphabets and yeah. uh, all of that. Uh, I I did for a while live in South Korea. I was teaching out there okay. and um, wow. picking up Korean. Obviously, the writing is actually quite yeah. simple. They've made it very straightforward. There's only a, a, there's only really a few characters um, that you have to repeat. But learning all of the honorifics that go with it and all of those yeah. extra cultural things was uh, was an absolute nightmare. Did you find that when you were polishing up your Japanese? Yeah, uh, well, I don't think I was ever good enough to polish it. Um, so, I, I, yes, yeah, so when I left school, I, I, I studied a degree in, in a place called Dublin University called International Marketing in Japanese. Um, okay. So half of it was Japanese, basically. And the, the course was four years, two years in Ireland, a year in Japan, where you did six months in college, six months in a work experience, and then a, a final year to finish. Um, but at the end of that second year, Ruby on Professional, Mm-hmm. And I was about to go to Japan and uh, I got an offer. I got a contract to play rugby. So I transferred into business study. So I probably, you know, looking at, so there's a high dropout rate. So only 19 was started. And by the time we were going into third year to go to Japan, only six were due to go, which is I was one of them. And I didn't go. So only five went. So the dropout ah, rate right, was, okay. um, was massive. Yeah. And that was down to the, uh, how difficult it was. Um, but we were told if you get to Japan and you get that year, obviously under your belt, having been in college there and having been in a, in a, in a job placement. Well, then obviously you've broken the back of it and, mm. and you know, you, you're on your way to being uh, fluent or, or, or certainly well able to, um, uh, to speak in it at a good level. So I didn't get to, but I, yeah, I found it difficult in fairness, but I do like, you know, I like, I like the challenge of it. Um, mm. I went back to Japan for the 2019 World Cup for a week to do some corporate work. And um, I felt after a few days, it was starting to come back again. The, the level I had, and I obviously wasn't coming back. I mean, I I, I absolutely believe that when you're in a, it's, it's such a different culture as well as the yeah. language being spoken, that a small amount of it goes quite a long way if you make the effort. Yeah, and um, for sure. certainly le- you know, learning how to bow, which yeah. is which is something, uh, obviously I was I taught out there for two years. And then when I came back, I was suddenly finding myself walking into, walking into pubs and like bowing to the owner and going, what am I doing? <laughs> you know, or, or, or anybody, anybody who looked vaguely Asian as I passed them in the street, I'd sort of give them a nod. And I was going, no way, I need to stop doing this. Um, yeah, brilliant. But yeah, it's 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 like anything. I I I think it's um. You mentioned about the idea of being able to go somewhere and travel to learn yeah. a language. I think that there is no substitute for being in the place where the language is yeah. spoken. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And like in fairness, so when I went to France, I, I had never studied French, and the next thing I was in an office where there was very little English being spoken. You know, mm-hmm. from nine to five, I was only really old kind of what I really need to know. But being immersed in it and obviously putting the effort in, mm-hmm. um. You know, it, within six months, I think I had a, a decent grasp of it, you know. But it was great. It was a great experience. Uh, I found, so I'd gone to Germany. So my summers were in school, in secondary school in Newbridge College, were kind of either work on the farm and, and, and that, and then three weeks in an Irish quail talk, which is like mm-hmm. a, a, an Irish course. And then in my fourth year, then I went to Germany. We had a guy, a fifth year, we had a guy come over, uh, a German student who came over for a year to learn English and was a boarder in Newbridge College. And I became friends with him and he invited myself and another friend of ours back and we worked in his um, dog food factory uh, and yeah, and lived with him and and picked up, you know, we actually really picked up more Turkish in the factory than we did the German, but (laughs) the idea was, the idea was to, um, to, to get that kind of authentic German experience and improve our language. 
one of the other questions I've got, which uh, I haven't actually asked anybody yet, so you will be the first, a total switch from talking about languages. Given the ratio of boys and boys to girls at your school, I imagine this probably wasn't the case, but were there any uh, awkward teenage crushes going on in your school life, Birch? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, there was for sure. There was for sure. Um, but uh, never acted upon. Um, and uh, yeah, highly secretive, obviously. Of course, yes. Um, this is purely an audio podcast, but Birch is currently chewing on his on his headphone wire and glaring. I'll, I'll, I'll move on. No, no, all good. All good. <laughs> if you could bump into your 16-year-old self uh, and actually just talk to them and maybe maybe give them a word of advice or two as you are now, what do you think you'd say to them? Obviously, 16-year-old you would, would be starting out on their rugby journey. Yeah. And uh, presumably like all 16-year-olds charging around after an egg-shaped ball, probably had a slightly overinflated view of their own abilities. What would you say to that person? Yeah, I'd say, uh, like, it's going to be incredibly enjoyable. It's going to be incredibly rewarding. Um, And I wouldn't change it. And I I had lots of disappointments and um, lots of failure. Uh, I actually wouldn't wouldn't change it for for the world. I think it's, um, it's given me... Brilliant perspective on on kind of what what I need to do to 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 be successful, and um, I met some great people. Uh, yeah, I just say enjoy it really. And at first, I did. I don't think I uh, I think I, did, I appreciated the opportunity I had. Um, I took the opportunities to do things differently. So, like I went, um, you know, I went to Sail Sharks as a mm. as a one year old um, because I wanted to, to test myself somewhere else. Mm, uh, just just remind me because um, I. I couldn't quite remember which seasons you were there for. Was it which year? So my first year was um, uh, my first year was Brian Kennedy's first year as the owners. Okay. We signed Jason Robinson, Paul mm. uh, Perlini, um, Brian Redpath. Um, so I had two years there. One year with one year with a guy called Glenn Ross, and then the second year with Steve Diamond and Jim Malander as the mm. coaches. And we won the Challenge Cup that second year. And then I think Philippe Saint Andre. Uh, came in, and obviously then they they won a, a premiership with Chabal and all those guys. But uh, it was great, yeah. It was um, uh, it was a brilliant experience for me uh, and my, my wife. We went to, to live in Manchester as, as twenty one mm-hmm. years, and uh, yeah, it was the start of the club. You know, my first year we were in Haywood Road. Mm-hmm. And we went to uh, um, Stockport, I think actually it was. Um, yeah, but just you know, it was it was it was a great experience. Like the premiership at the time was much. Was a much better competition than the Celtic League. Mm. Uh, the Celtic League was was stop start. You played some games for your province and then you played for your club. Obviously, I was totally focused on Sale Sharks when I was there, and uh, loved it. But then I I wasn't getting picked for Ireland when I was in England, so I went back then. And, and again, that was you know I went back to Connacht and, and then uh, and then Leinster. I I actually have a, a very spooky feeling if I'm looking around distracted, it's because I've got a big box of rugby memorabilia somewhere over here and I am pretty certain given the time period that I might well have actually watched you play uh, when I came to my first ever rugby match in about 2001 okay, well, um, oh yeah because yeah, uh, I went obviously 
Irish were playing up at the Medeski. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yep. the first game I ever went to see, I went along as a neutral because I didn't support a team. But my okay. hero, my my all-time hero is Jason Robinson. And oh, yeah. uh, oh. I, I remember my dad saying, well, he's actually playing this afternoon. Let's go. And I got to sort of yeah. like sit in the stands and, and sort of watch him up close. He's unbelievable. I think like, I've been very lucky. I played like against mm. uh, some very good players, played with very unbelievable players like Brian Driscoll and... Mm. Um, you know, Ron Nagara and Paul O'Connell and all these guys. But uh, like in terms of sheer ability, like nobody, nobody could touch Jason Robinson for, for no. me. And and yeah, it was phenomenal. It was phenomenal. And a good guy as well, like a, a really good guy and humble. Yeah. Um, yeah. So and I, I, at the time, rugby league was was quite popular. Uh, mm. And I, um, I know it's struggling a bit now in, in North England, but like I knew about Jason Robinson, you know what I mean? And mm. I watched you know, the Wiggins and St. Helens and all that stuff. So get a chance to play with him was, was phenomenal. Yeah. Oh, and, and that was the thing. I remember my dad's from, from uh, Lancashire and obviously would have grown up watching rugby league. And he, he was, he said to me something like, Oh, you know, cause I played on the wing. He said, you want to watch this lad. He's just coming from rugby league. He's going to be different. He's going to do different things. Yeah. And he, well, he wasn't wrong. <laughs> my no, dad wasn't wrong. Be, no. being a, a rugby seer. The, the only other thing I would, I would like to ask is just, Generally speaking, um, from from where you were then to where you are now, I know you've you've said that you would tell them to enjoy the journey. What what are you doing these days, and where can people find you if they want to uh, hear more of what you've got to say? I know you do quite a lot of media work. Yeah, I'm really lucky. I've got a very diverse um, uh, week now. So I, my day job is uh, I'm account manager for a, a, um, a data company called Refinitive, formerly Thomson Reuters. So. Um, I sell effectively market data to financial services in, in Ireland. Um, I'm one account in London. Yeah, I'm a commentator, a co-commentator for a couple of different TV channels. So last night I did uh, Connacht against Benetton for, for World Feed, Premier Sport and Air Sport. And then Friday night I was down in Limerick for um, for Munster against uh, Cardiff Blues. Or Cardiff, they want to be called now. Um, and yeah, so I'm really lucky. And I also do some highlight shows and some different analysis. I do a couple of podcasts a week, one on RT uh, and one for 42. And yeah, I do some guest speaking around things like resilience leadership and um, with corporate teams. So yeah, I've, I, I coach at my local club, Bective, and I, I was coaching at my school. I was back home coaching my own school this year in between lockdowns. Um, and I love that. Yeah, I love helping the, the, the next generation try and, trying, you know, it's, uh, have the same uh, enjoyment I had at a sport. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for your, no, your time, you. which sounds very spare. So I'm, I'm really humbled that you were able to uh, talk to me about your time. I, I look forward to putting this together. Brilliant. If you wish to support the pod, you can find me on Twitter at schooliespod, or just search right in the schoolies. And that's the same for Instagram, right in the schoolies, under the name Mr. James. Your homework is, of course, as ever, to give me some lovely reviews and some nice feedback. If you know of anybody who you think would want to be on our pod, be they well-known or lesser well-known, but you think that they have some good stories to tell, then get in touch on my social media. Class dismissed.